In this week's Parsha, Ki Tisa, we have one of the most memorable moments in the entire Torah. Moses is up on Sinai receiving the Torah, when down below, at the very base of Mount Sinai, the people are getting restless. He said he was going to be gone for 40 days, and it's day 41. So what do they do? What do they build? The golden calf. It's the story that everybody knows. We all know it from our childhood. And that's what most rabbis and most commentary focus on this week. Is because in Kitisa, right in the middle, is the golden calf. But Kitisa means you should go take a census of the people. Not exactly the most exciting title that's going to draw you in. Instead of calling it the golden calf parsha, or the sin of the people, or why did Aaron not stand up more? And most of us, over the centuries, have fixated on this, on the question of what is the sin of the golden calf? And who's to blame for it? And what are we supposed to learn from it? Now normally where commentators drill down is that the sin is the sin of idolatry. And that Aaron is looked down upon because while Moses is gone, he's permissible in the creation of the idol. Now, this may be, and there's plenty of commentaries that would share and prove this point, but I actually think we're missing a fundamental truth that we as individuals and as a society are struggling with right now. But I'll get to that a little bit later. Rabbi David Wolpe, he argues that the sin, it's the idol, but even more so there's a secret sin. He says the secret sin is impatience. He goes, it's day 41. They couldn't wait. Maybe he got lost. The guy's Jewish. He might have hurt his back. Maybe God forgot to tell him something. And he goes, look, really, the sin that we have to learn is that all of us get so impatient in life, and that's the sin that he's committing. But I think if you look at the Israelites and you ask the question, why are they so impatient? What's their hurry? And what are they trying to accomplish by building a golden calf. Because it's right there in their language. They're fearful. They don't know what the future holds, and they want anything to lead them. They thought the power and safety, it came from their leader, Moses. And now that he was late or gone, they began acting like fearful children who are panicking and wanting everything to just be okay. And I would classify this leadership desire into the he or it alone can fix it. And without him, we're lost. Now this is the first of three different leadership styles we see in Judaism. And Moses sees this. He knows that the people are afraid and they feel as if without a strong man, they will not survive. And he realizes he needs to teach them that it's not about him. Moses, he goes to God, and he says, look, if you're going to destroy the Jewish people, then wipe me out of that book you're writing. Most people, when they read this, they assume this means that Moses, he doesn't want to be associated with the people of Israel, if this is how they behaved. But the Magid of Dubna, an Eastern European Jew from the late 18th century, he shares a parable which gives a completely different take on this verse. The Magid shares a story of a king 
Now, in all of these stories, whenever you read about a king, the king is God. So there's this king and his chief minister. The chief minister, he has this son that doesn't behave that often, and he gets arrested all the time. But since he's the son of the chief minister, the king always pardons him over and over again. Well, finally, the minister goes to the king and says to him, fire me. The king goes, what? He goes, please, just fire me. Do it for me. My son needs to know that he is responsible for his own actions, and it's not me. And if I continue to work for you, he's going to continue to not take ownership for his own actions. Part of our development as a people has been identifying what our tendencies are, what our weaknesses are, and then shifting to a healthier and a more powerful way of living. And this doesn't happen overnight. We had to first learn that leadership, that first level of leadership, it doesn't work. That that one person's going to take care of it for me. And then we learned the second leadership style from a few weeks ago in Yitro. You begin to get the sense that Moses had become a leader that was expressing to his people that he alone could fix their problems. He was the one who, upon their fears at the Sea of Reeds with the Egyptians running, he's the one who put his staff out. And then the sea parts. It's Yitro, it's Moses' father-in-law, who tells him, hey, come on, you can't do this alone. You need to delegate. Because this is another failed form of leadership. Under the same banner of, I cannot do it alone, and he cannot do it alone. The Israelites have to spend 40 years in the desert, having an entire generation die off. Moses, he grew up under Pharaoh, only knowing these two forms of leadership. So even Moses cannot enter the land of Israel. It's not until the rabbis come along, generations later, that you see a new view of leadership and interaction with God, a third form, a third form which we have embraced. There's a story in the Talmud, and it's most Reformed rabbis' favorite story in the whole Talmud, about a chief rabbi sitting in a Beit Midrash, about the size of this room. And he has all of the other rabbis in the room, and they're arguing over an oven if it's kosher or not. And this rabbi says, look, the oven's kosher. And all the other rabbis go, it's not kosher. He goes, it's crazy. Okay, I'll prove to you it's kosher. He said, look outside. You see that tree right there? If it's kosher, the tree will come out of the ground. They all look, and magically enough, the tree comes out of the ground. They go, ah! It's just a tree. It's not kosher. He goes, this is nuts. He goes, fine, look at the river. It'll reverse directions if I'm right. They look, it reverses direction. and go, ah, oh, it's just a river. He goes, fine. If I'm correct, have the walls of this bait midrash, have them collapse on us. And they begin to shake, and then boom, they stop at a 45-degree angle. They go, they're just walls. Now, the chief rabbi is fed up at this point. And he says, fine. If I'm correct... Let the voice from heaven, let God alone say that I'm correct. And this big booming voice goes, the rabbi is right. And all the other rabbis in the room point their finger up and they say, the voice is not in heaven. They quote the Torah. They tell God to shut up. And the Talmud says God laughs. 
and says, hmm, my boys have beaten me. My boys have beaten me. The reason that God is happy that God is beaten is that finally the people of Israel see that if they want to live in a healthy way, it cannot be about them alone or about a singular person, even if it is the chief rabbi leading them. But it's about the collective nature of us working together for a common good. And that collective nature can override the voice from above. And we see this. That's the secret of this week's Parsha. This week, when we think that this is all about Moses or Aaron or the golden calf, we just have to look at the title of the Parsha. And we see that it was never about them. It's about Kitisa. It's about a census. It's about Israel as a collective. If you want to make change, you have to live in a healthy and sustainable life in partnership. You cannot do it alone. You have to do it in relationship. Because you alone cannot fix your marriage. You alone cannot fix the dynamics in your relationships or the mishigash in your family. You alone cannot fix the ills of society or in our political system. It's only when all of us are counted in kitisa and we bring what we can together are we able to lead ourselves in this world from where it is today to where it ought to be. Shabbat shalom. We rise on page 282 for Alenu.